Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode, we visit with Brett Marie, author of the Upsetter blog, the story of an unknown rock band on their journey to fame, documented by an aging writer on their months-long tour. Henry Barkley, along with his adult son Patrick, join the Flat Jackets as they go out on tour across the U.S., documenting the increasingly erratic and volatile behavior of the band's enigmatic lead singer, Jack Hackett, while fighting his feelings for Jack's girlfriend, Wendy. Orlando Ortega Medina, author of Jerusalem Ablaze, had this to say about the book. Brett Marie's exhilarating debut is at once a loving homage to music told in the most lyrical of prose and a cautionary tale that reminds us that before a phoenix can rise, it must first crash and burn. I couldn't put it down. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I, I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. It's been a long time coming. What, 20 years? Uh, yeah, just about. I started, I did the first line thinking it was just a short story. And uh, I wrote the first line in 2002. And it, the first draft of the novel, which it grew into, ended, uh, I finished that in 2010, maybe 2011. And then from there, it was a, a matter of refining it to what it is today, bringing it down from a very bloated first draft to something that's uh, a lot more streamlined and readable. 
Yeah, and we're going to talk about that, listeners, uh, on our Patreon uh, episode that uh, that Brett and I are going to do. Um, it's going to be titled "Playing the Long Game in Publishing." We're going to talk more about that story. And uh, listeners, also, there might be a little bit of a a lag here sometimes in in what you hear from Brett, but that's because uh, you know he's coming to us from across the Atlantic. Uh, Brett, tell us where you are and what you see out your window. I am in rural Herefordshire, England, which is on the border between England and Wales. And it is rather rural. Uh, as we say here, the sheep outnumber the people. And uh, <laughs> if I were to look out, yeah, if I were to look out my back window, uh, I would probably see uh, about uh, 20 or 30 sheep in a paddock that's just behind my backyard. Okay. Are you a sheep rancher? No, but our uh, uh, our property is uh, we have neighbors who are, are allowed to actually have the, the sheep farmers who who have a deal to bring the sheep to graze the pasture there. Well, all I know about uh, sheep farming in that part of the world is what I saw on Clarkson's farm, uh, which is the uh, special <laughs> about the yes. guy who tries to run his own farm. It's that Clarkson, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that Clarkson, yes. Um, right. well, let, let's do this. Uh, first of all, you're um, you're, you're kind of like Superman. You've got two identities, uh, right? You've got Brett Marie. He's the literary guy uh, who's written this uh, novel. And then there's uh, Matt Triber. He's the rock musician. How do these two people coexist in the same body? Well, uh, the first one to exist was Matt Triber and still is Matt Triber. I am actually a musician. Uh, I, from the age of uh, five, I was playing piano, and from the age of 13, I picked up a guitar and I got consumed with rock and roll music. I just loved everything about rock and roll, everything from the earliest rock and roll Elvis and Chuck Berry and Little Richard to the Rolling Stones and into uh, more, more modern things. Uh, my, I got into this world through ACDC, and uh, it took... From the time that I was a kid, I had wanted to be a writer, but the music just took everything that I had uh, for a really long time. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I returned to writing with aspirations to write fiction. And by the time that happened, I had a name for myself as Matt Triber. And I guess a little bit out of uh, not wanting to crash and burn one way, <laughs> Uh, when I was when I was doing okay the other way, uh, I wanted to sort of keep these separate, uh, and then I could keep it an open secret if it turned out okay on the writing front. So what I ended up doing was I wanted some way to say to be able to say that it was me. So I made my pen name an anagram for my actual name. So if you rearrange the the name Matt Triber. Uh, you get, it's Matt with one T, Triber. You get Brett with two Ts, Marie. Yeah, I, I did that little puzzle after you told me that to figure it out. That's great. Uh, all right, well, look, the story sure. of the Upsetter blog, uh, Brett, it's uh, it's about a rock band. We're going to get more into the details of that as we talk on the show here. And it's about an aging writer who follows and writes about them. Uh, I'm just asking, are we getting close to home here? Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, I'm not 60 years old, which the narrator is is 60 years old. I'm also not 22, which is about the age of the uh, of the singer. But it, the book did kind of turn into a, a letter from my 
present self to my younger self, kind of, kind of a letter saying that you know things are going to be all right. Things aren't necessarily going to go the way that you plan them, but that life will still be good. Yeah, that's good. Well, on the literary side, um, you know, I don't know why you wanted to do Brett because you've done well. Your short story, if I had if I, it had happened to you, shortlisted for the Love Reading UK's first very short story award in 2019. You're contributing editor. Uh, to how do you pronounce that book? And it's Bookanista. Bookanista, yeah. And your staff writer yep. for Pop Matter. And your short fiction has appeared in New Plains Review, Words Plus, Images Press, and Impressment Gang. And same on the rock side, the music. I looked you up on YouTube, and you were you were kind enough to uh, you know that saw you rocking out there in different settings, you know, on a street corner, maybe uh, somewhere on stage. Uh, and you know, you shared with me one of your songs, and we're going to play a. A clip from now, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cue this up now while we're talking, um, and let's do that now, and then, sure. then we're gonna um, talk a little bit while this is playing. Uh, tell us about this song. The title is "Poor Boy." So, "Poor Boy" is a song that I wrote when I was only a musician, and it was, uh, it was just a song about my own frustrations or whatever you would call it and uh, I put it to my favorite kind of rock and roll beat and uh, and then when I recorded it I put it out and, and it was always a highlight of a set whenever I would play it uh, on stage by the time I was writing uh, there, there was a point where I needed a song to to include that I kind of knew my way around uh, and so I took that one out of my hat and included it in the novel and I basically sort of gave it to Jack Hackett and the Flag Jackets, the band that, uh, that is being written about. And you said it was one of the more Flag Jackety type uh, songs that you've ever written. T tell us how so. Give us yeah. some insight into this band and why this song fits them so well. Well, the band, so the story takes place in 2003, and it's a time that I know well because uh, that was when I was in Los Angeles and fronting a band, and uh, that was when I was at my most active. I was I played the Viper Room, and I played, uh, I actually did an in-store at Tower Records on Sunset, and uh, all over the place other than that, and at the Mint, which is another place which... Uh, takes place there's a lot that happens at the mint uh, pivotal moments in the book happen at the mint in los angeles in west los angeles and um so i was a this was in the time when when uh, like the the, the main top chart toppers were like lincoln park and um, we had just seen uh people like corn and limp biscuit who were sort of the rock acts and uh, they were coming and going at the time, and they were the antithesis of what I was doing. I was doing stuff that was very in keeping with the old style music that I loved, the, the rock and roll, the Chuck Berry, as I say, was probably my biggest guitar hero. And um, so the Flak Jackets are a band playing this spirited early style rock and roll, which might be called retro, um, in 2003. But about that time, there were other big bands that were coming up that had that kind of spirit. And so it felt true to life that a band could have that other than myself uh, and be successful. So uh, the Strokes were a band that had that sort of basic stripped down approach to music. And so was, uh, was it Jet. Jet actually had a song that sounded kind of like that uh, at the time. So that seemed in keeping. But this, yeah, that's what the song is uh, and how it relates to the book. All right, we're going to crank it up just a little bit here and, and listen for just a moment. Freaking, 
All right, uh, Brett, uh, it's just good to hear you play. Now we're going to talk a bit about, uh, you know, your, uh, your writing. <laughs> we'll talk about the story itself. Uh, Great. First impression. Yeah, we're sure. talk, I'm looking at the book cover here. Uh, the Upsetter blog, book cover, Brett Marie on the front. Uh, let's talk about the title for just a minute. Uh, I'm just curious, does it have anything to do with the fact that there are a lot of people in this book that were upset about something? Yeah, that was part of it. So ostensibly in the book, the writer, Henry Barclay, is writing a blog of the tour for a magazine startup called Upsetter. It's going to start off as a blog and then the editor of the magazine will then bring it into a print edition. And I liked the name Upsetter. I actually got it from the, uh, the backing band that backed Little Richard. Uh, who was an outrageous performer in in the sort of the rock style that I enjoyed, and uh, but it also the term upsetter worked as as a as a word to give a hint of the type of uh, sort of provocative and upsetting performance that Jack Hackett is sometimes capable of doing, uh, capable of giving. So that that was the the name of the title, and I think that it, it's I, I like to think that it's intriguing and and it gives the right impression of what's inside the story. Yeah, well, you know, you have the people in the band that are upset with each other, upset with the crowds or lack thereof. You got the aging writer who's upset about something having to be there in the first place. You got the producer, right. producer, and the investors they're upset, and then the people who show up at the events. There are a couple of uh, you know ballroom kind of shenanigans that go on that show they're not too happy with what's going on. No. On stage as well. So, uh, all right. The book co- right. the book cover is interesting. It features a map that's kind of broken up with different images. Um, you've got an uh, image of a microphone, guitar, person in a crowd, a woman, a motel sign, and a man. Talk about how these images um, speak to what's going on in this book. Sure. Well, so it is a road novel, I guess, primarily. The band is from Los Angeles and they strike out on the road first on a West Coast tour. That's It's supposed to be a, a big tour that is going to end with the band recording their debut album, a live record to be recorded in Los Angeles at the end of it. Now, things are not likely to go as planned because it would be a boring book if everything went off without a hitch. Uh, but there, there's a lot of, of singing, a lot of music, uh, a lot of uh, crowd baiting, I guess you would call it, uh, because every night the band is out there in the sort of in the rock and roll trenches, getting out there on stage and facing crowds who are either indifferent to them or actively hostile, uh, and which anybody in an, in an up and coming band will recognize that atmosphere and will also maybe have an idea of the motivations that make Jack Hackett uh, sort of strike back. Some people might think of this as wish fulfillment for uh, sort of up and coming bands who have been in situations where it's not an ideal crowd. Uh, And then of course, there's so so it's the it's those sorts of shows. And then there's uh, they they're backstage and on the road and in their cars and in their motels, uh, basically getting from gig to gig. And Besides the conflicts with audiences, there are also intra-band conflicts where certain people in the bands might be disgruntled. Uh, Jack is a troubled person that becomes very obvious early on. And uh, and yes, Henry, as a, as a writer, he's not there. He, he wasn't chomping at the bit to get on this tour. He is mostly there uh, out of out of necessity because he's broke and also because he wants to find a way to bond with his son 
who is a developmentally disabled adult who has fallen in love with the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's uh, the the man on the side uh, with the far right photo in on the cover there is a man with Down syndrome. So I wanted to uh, include that uh, on the cover to to show that character. And then there is. The uh, the woman uh, shown there who doesn't look too happy herself, who uh, is representing Wendy, who is uh, the love interest, uh, who is the girlfriend of Jack Hackett, and who is, uh, say, the object of, of some puppy love from uh, from Henry, if, uh, if puppy love is the word from a 60-year-old man. Yeah, well, I, I really enjoyed the sort of on-the-road aspect uh, to the book and, and really felt for the band, almost like you're an author who goes to a book signing and nobody shows up, right? It's like uh, you, you don't get heckled at a book signing, but like like maybe the band does sometimes when they show up in some of those right. events. But, you know, it's it's they're really putting their heart and soul into it. They go, I mean, there's one scene where they're doing a, a little gig in a record store and nobody's there to watch them and the people that are passing by aren't really paying them much attention and you sort of really you do you do begin to feel for the band but the sights and the sounds i mean you took us to a lot of places you took us to joshua tree middle of nowhere you took us to vegas uh salt lake city reno san francisco and up the west coast i'm just wondering brett um since you were in this world yourself as a different you know person uh, a real person playing music uh you know as uh, matt triber were some of these settings familiar to you? These, uh, you know, these long drives, these, you know, running out of money, these wondering what's going to happen next. Am I doing the right thing with my life? Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yeah. Some of them came from my direct experience. Some of them came from experiences of people I knew. Uh, but uh, when you when you write a novel, obviously you are shaping things to get to an end goal. So. Uh, what happens to the Flak Jackets is not the story of, of right. the Matt Triber group, and um, so yeah. And but I mean, there there's a there's a scene late in the book uh, where the band plays. Uh, they're they're actually sharing the stage with a big screen TV uh, that's playing a baseball playoff game, and that actually did come. It wasn't that game, but it, it came from a direct experience that I had when it was the, I was in. Mount Vernon, New York, just outside the Bronx in 2000, when the Yankees and the Mets were playing the World Series. And there was a massive screen TV next to me while I was playing my show. Now, I didn't do what what Jack Hackett does, but I I, I knew that scene back to front. Yeah, you, you felt like doing what Jack Hackett did perhaps but yeah. you, you stuck with it <laughs> yeah. yeah uh all yeah. right well let's do this we're um we, we like to do uh, have the authors do a reading uh, on charlotte's podcast where authors give voice to the written words uh we've picked out a point in the book uh where the band is exhausted they're running out of money things may be at an end we don't know what's going to happen here or there um i thought it'd be a good scene to kind of show um you know maybe what's going on i don't know maybe halfway three quarters way through the book it's not going to give away the ending by any means but it's going to tell you a little bit about what these guys are facing. Anything else you want to say to set it up? Um, just to know a bit about the cast of characters. Yep. Uh, there are uh, there are four band members: uh, Jack, Tim, Joe, and Caleb. There is a road manager known as the Roadie, and his name is Spike. And then there is Wendy, 
uh, as I've already said, the love interest. And there is also Henry, who is the writer who is, uh, who is narrating this. So here we go. June 11th, 2003. Seattle is rainy and smells like fish. The gig here isn't until tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to an early night, but an anomaly occurs at check-in when the hotel clerk goes to authorize the credit card. She tries it three times, and thrice the terminal spits it back. I call the customer service number on the back of the card. A chirpy operator breaks to me what I have been dreading for some time, that we've maxed out. It's no use calling Marty, that's the editor of the magazine. Nonetheless, call him I do on the friendly young clerk's phone. And as I fully expect, the same robotic secretary asks me to try back tomorrow. I ask her, demand of her, to get an urgent message to him from Henry. Last name? He knows who I am! I take a breath and conclude, with the band. And what band is that? I look up to see my face glowing crimson in a mirror on the far wall. After a second to compose myself, I dictate her, to her a two-word message for Marty maxed out. I have little confidence he'll receive it. My own credit card, pushed to the breaking point already by my phone use, might just about cover a single night's stay. Spike puts that unpleasant idea to rest. You put your money in, you won't get it back. Without another word, he takes my briefcase, opens it on the counter, and retrieves the envelope that holds our per diem bundle. Shaking his head, he counts out $250 and slides the bills across the counter to the waiting clerk. He closes the envelope and wags it in the air. It flaps limply, thin and only slightly weighted. That's three days food gone. We're going to crash and burn if Marty doesn't get his shit together. How's that golf cart of yours for gas right now? Asks the roadie as we cart our bags to our rooms. Down to about a quarter tank, as I recall. A nervous tension presses my chest. I can't fill up the van on that cash. We go a day or two more, even on what's in that envelope, and Marty don't come through, we'll never get back to LA. We're climbing a flight of stairs to the second floor. Every word Spike utters is a weight that makes each step a little bit harder to clear. Caleb leaps past us two steps at a time. He waits for us at the top, nostrils flaring. You see what I mean about them? He says. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. Hey, says Tim from two steps below me. This is probably a temporary snag, right? He looks up at Spike. Maybe I can get in touch with my folks. My dad's cool. He may front us a bit to sustain us, you know, till Marty clears things up. Fuck that. Spike stops beside Caleb at the top of the stairs and addresses all of us like he's rallying troops into a rout. This tour's already pissed away a shitload of other people's money. Marty ain't gonna clear nothing up. He can't even make it to his office to talk to his company's only asset. He spurs himself into motion again, heading down the hall. Nope. Unless Marty pays his bills by tomorrow, the tour's off. Only Tim makes a sound in reaction, breathing a soft no at the roadie's executive decision. The roadie shoves his key card into his door, yanks it out again, and throws the door open. He gives no further instruction. Tim rubs his eyes. I see those imaginary lenses push up towards the sky. Well, that was fun while it lasted. And for once, he says no more. I can forgive his despondence. I, of course, have much to return home to. I will see my son slip back into my regular routine and begin the process of finding work so that I can pay off the months of rent which Marty has, was supposed to cover. 
but as we head to our rooms, I feel wistful at the thought that this is the last night I will put in an hour of typing, the last time I will struggle to put down for posterity the details of a night's work. The log of our pathetic exploits reads back in a repetitive canon. Each entry follows a predictable arc, but together they recount a process of doing, and their very recounting is such a process, one which had for too long been absent from my life. If I never speak to Marty again, or if I am carted away for trying to tear him limb from limb, he might one day look on my words and find within their final paragraphs my equally deserved thanks for the gift, however tarnished, of doing. Marty will not come through. Tomorrow we will turn tail and retreat homeward in defeat. I will ride with Tim. I doubt there'll be much conversation. We will let Tim's hero, Graham, serenade us, and I will long for Francoise. We will stop at a roadside inn for the night and possibly empty our per diem envelope there. If we're short, I suspect that shortfall will go on my credit card. And on we'll go the next morning, listening to sad songs, nursing feelings of exhaustion, relief, and longing, watching the road signs count down the miles until we take the final exit and the wheels stop turning. Yeah, thank you for that, Brett. That was that was really nice. It's it kind of sets up this uh, all is lost scenario, which is which happens at about the three quarter mark of every good novel. <laughs> thank you. Yes, well, I, actually, Orlando, I'm glad that you opened with the quote from Orlando Ortega Medina because it gave me chills to read that when I first saw that blurb, where is, he says it's a reminder that before the phoenix can rise, it must first crash and burn. Exactly. And I think that any. Any great novel is going to have that all is lost moment. Uh, whether or not they pull out of it, uh, you need that for the emotional release. Exactly. It's that uh, three act structure, right? <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. so, so let's do this. Uh, talk about Jack Hack in a minute. He's the lead singer. Um, he's, um, you know, he's troubled, as you said. He's, he's sometimes described as a madman on stage. Uh, he's got a, you know, Give, give us a sense of who he is uh, on stage versus who he is off stage. Sure. So on stage, Jack Hackett, he uses his performance as a kind of primal scream therapy, maybe you'd call it. He comes off as somebody who has severe issues, whether it's in confidence or whether it's in uh, um, that he's just uh, extremely depressed or something. And it's not quite you don't quite know except maybe from the snatches of lyrics that you can get from his performance uh he's and there are hints from other uh from other band members that he has been unlucky in love uh that he has um that he's just that that sort of personality i think we all know people like this who have uh who have something dark in them and this um so when he's on stage he is not only being very, very passionately singing and, 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 you know, basically screaming out most of his, of his lyrics. But he also, if he feels that a crowd is uh, against him or feels that a crowd is indifferent to him, he, his instinct is to, to bait the crowd and to find whatever creative ways to, to get the crowd's attention and whoever might be antagonizing him uh, to put them in their plates, in their place. So that's him on stage. Off stage, he's very guarded. Uh, Henry is very intrigued because he can't quite figure Jack out. And what makes it more so, more like that is that Jack is openly unwilling 
uh, for Henry to to get to know him. I mean, the first thing he says when he first shakes J- uh, Henry's hand is, "I'm Jack, and that's all you get." So he's keeping himself to himself. But what he also can't hide uh, from Henry is when uh, when he meets Wendy, who is the the principal love interest of the of the story, and who is a I, I think a, a character in her own right. But when he meets her he is absolutely head over heels in love and in that kind of goofy way that that you can get when you're just infatuated with somebody and those are the times that henry feels like he's seeing something of that jack's letting his guard down and he's seeing the real jack hackett uh but they don't last long because jack always got to go back on stage and he's always got to deal with his bandmates and deal with uh, everything that's being thrown at him so he, he mm-hmm. doesn't let his guard down for long well, you know, I like to focus sometimes on the antagonist of the story as well. But as I was thinking about it here, I wasn't sure whether Jack was the antagonist for Henry or whether, you know, the whole, you know, road trip was an antagonist for all of the characters. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, because, as I said, this is kind of a letter from my older self to my younger self. Uh, I see myself in both Henry and in Jack, and I was able to get inside both of their heads and hearts. And I, I cannot decide whether Henry is the protagonist and Jack is the antagonist or vice versa. Jack wants to keep to himself at, at all costs. He wants to be successful, uh, but you get the idea that he's more concerned with just finding and keeping the love of Wendy. Henry is trying to break through Jack's uh, veneer, and Jack doesn't want that, uh, and because Henry wants to to learn about this this personality who he he doesn't uh, he doesn't understand, so he wants to get to the bottom of that, and Jack is just throwing up all sorts of walls so that he can't. Yeah, that's great. Well, themes of the book too. You know, sometimes there's the surface plot, there are the characters, but underneath, you know, there's going to be another theme that's percolating along here. We've got several, you know, there's music, there's the touring, there's alcohol and drug use, which you know, I presume happens on road trips like this. There's the tolls. Occupational of the, hazard, yes. <laughs> tolls of the music industry, uh, you know, is that what it's really like for bands trying to make it? Uh, there's love, there's mental illness maybe perhaps. Uh, what do you see as a theme that, uh, you know, resonated most with you coming from this book? Um, I think that the, the main theme I think is uh, that you know life for for all of these people is not going to go the way that they plan whether it's you know wild success or abject failure i won't tell you uh but uh it is it is not the way that they expect things to go and i have i've learned that whether you whether you think at the time that it's something good or that it's something bad it it, you will find, or I have found a way always to, to see the good in it. And to, uh, and I think that that is, is the biggest message of the book uh, is that if, if these people take the long view of their lives, they will find that there's good and bad, uh, but that it's, it's always well worth living. Mm, that's great. Yeah. And this is, this is a rock and roll adventure. You've got a lot of really good uh, reviews. I'm listing seven or eight of them in the show notes listeners at uh, charlotteroospodcast.com. But just to give you a couple here um, from uh, Kim Eklund, author of Speak Silence, the Upsetter blog is an ancient love story wherein the buoyant guise of the contemporary music scene, a meditation of what happens when truth is drained from a shattered heart. 
It plays with the ideas of fate and chance in the story that puts truth and the heart back together again. And then Rachel Jen, author of What You Could Have Won, a book about a band with music in the writing. That's just that simple, right? A book about a band <laughs> with music in the writing. Yeah, yeah. it makes me blush because that's yeah. basically what I was aiming for. Yeah, and it's sort of, it reminds me a little, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. Uh, Tom Hanks did a movie called That Thing You Do, which is sort of a band that came together and they toured around. And uh, there was this one character who was all about the music and the preciseness and the drummer was just happy to be there. And you've got a couple of those kind of, I guess there's all those characters in every band, right? I mean, there's always going to be somebody yeah. who's just there to have a good time. And there's somebody who's just, well, this is not my principle. I can't do this particular song because it's not art, right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the, the, the characters who I created were not based exactly on real people, but they were types. And I think that any musician who has been in a band for more than five minutes will have encountered at least two or three of these types of people. Uh, there is the music obsessive. There's a, he's the person who basically has left his entire family uh, and lives alone in a hovel in the valley and only cares about his guitar. Uh, and, um, you know, I've, I've known those people. There are the people who are, uh, yeah, who are really nerds. You know, you think of rock and rollers as hellraisers and things, but there are plenty of sort of the, the, the geeks and nerds who, who just, you know, that's their thing instead of, you know, whatever video games or whatever, and, you know, that's their, their métier. Uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, there are the people who are just, the rock and roll style people who we all know, you know, the, the, the people who want to go be in a band, play in front of the girls or play in front of the guys and, and just make a lot of noise and get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. That'd sound like a bad way to spend your twenties, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely was. <laughs> uh, well, let's do this couple, couple of quick writing life questions before we wrap up. Um, so why, uh, Brett, did you want to write this particular story? I mean, for, for to spend that much time on it, I mean, you know, that's a commitment. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that more on Patreon, but why did you want to write it? Uh, well, I started, uh, it, like I said, it started as a short story about uh, like this, this uh, up-and-coming singer who blows a big gig, who basically uh, has everything just, just about ready for him. And then he, in my original version, he, he, he just blows it and, uh, and you'll never hear from him again. Uh, but I, I, I didn't, the, the, the character I had created was shallow and he was, he was not, he, he was not interesting to me. And the more I, I decided, I, I, I don't think this is going to be a great short story if we don't like the character. And so I, as I started to flesh him out, he took on more characteristics that I'm familiar with, characteristics that I might have and characteristics I've known in other people. And as the character grew, obviously the story grew. And then as my life took me all sorts of different places, uh, all of that experience started filtering its way into the book. So um, what I wanted to do was, was write about my life uh, or write something that was true to my life. And since my life kept rolling down the hill and you know snowballing, uh, it got bigger and bigger. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna dive deeper into a lot of reasons why, you know, playing the long game and publishing worked out for you. But if, but this is a question I ask authors and that is if you could tell your younger writing self and let's go all the way back to the time you started writing this, something of value that would have helped you early on through this process. Uh, can you boil it down to one thing in particular? 
Well, I don't know if, if I could have helped him because things just worked out organically for me. And I, so I think that the only advice that I would give would be to enjoy it and to relish every moment that I had to create and also relish every moment that I had to be out living and uh, amassing the experiences that would go into this story. Mm, that's great advice. All right, listeners, uh, the, the channel that we're going to now is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-L-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. We're going to talk about all the advantages that came with uh, taking 20 years to publish a book. And uh, you're going to find out the secrets about that. Uh, and you can find out everything about this episode, including links uh, uh, to Brett and uh, also images of the book cover and that kind of thing. at charlottereaderspodcast.com in the show notes. Hey, uh, Brett, it's been great having you on the show all the way from uh, that little uh, bird with the sheep in the backyard. Thank you very much for having me, Landis. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.